Welcome, everyone, back to BAMS Radio. Uh, I'm your co-host, Drew Diamond. I want to thank Thomas Watts for sitting in for me last week. As always, he's the wizard behind the curtains and the co-host and uh, does a great job producing BAMS Radio for our listeners every week. Uh, and then once again, we're joined by our third amigo uh, from uh, the 1992 National Championship team from 89 to 93, a uh, member of the Crimson Tide, and, of course, uh, always has his ear close to the ground when it comes to the Alabama Crimson Tide and Nick Saban and this football program. i uh, got a lot to talk about tonight as uh, the uh, coaching staff has finally been announced officially, the on-field group, uh, and, of course, they added the final piece a couple of days ago to that, uh, and that's Coach Cool and uh, Craig Kuliakowski. I'm going to try to do the best I can with the pronunciation. I, I'm, I will get it down, uh, but uh, he's uh, come over from the University of Miami, uh, before that, 15 seasons at Missouri, uh, during which that time, his last seven years, uh, he produced four first-round draft choices, really five when you consider that he left before Charles Harris could become one. But he was uh, you know, instrumental in his development and recruiting him as well, and arguably the best defensive line coach in college football coming to work for Nick Saban at Alabama and be an associate head coach. But I'm going to uh, bring William into the conversation uh, just uh, first of all, I know uh, your specialty is a, is a offensive, defensive line, and in uh, front seven. How excited are are you about this addition to the staff, William? Well, you know when the when the rumors first started, I guess you know shortly after the national championship game, Drew, that you know Carl Dunbar was looking to go back to the NFL. Um, you know, we all started kind of speculating and talking on, you know, who could be the best hire. And so, I, you know, I started looking around. You know, I'm older, so, you know, guys like Larry Johnson and Pete Jenkins and, and you know, some other people jumped out to me. And, I, you know, I'd forgotten about, um, you know, what Coach Cool had done at Missouri. And, you know, I didn't even realize until right there before he was hired that Miami, you know, led the nation in sacks last year. But, you know, after looking around, um, you know, I thought he was probably, um, you know, the best defensive line coach in college football. And, you know, he really wasn't even being talked about at this time. Um, so it was kind of a, you know, a pie-in-the-sky, you know, dream-type hire for me. But, you know, I think it's probably, um, you know, one of the best, if not the best, position coaching hires of, of the Nick Saban era. Um, you know, when you look what he was able to do um, at Missouri with all those great defensive lines that they put out in, in the NFL prospects, you'll probably see – um, even though he didn't recruit them to Miami, you'll probably see him add, you know, a couple of more guys that go first or second round in the next couple of years, you know, guys that he either recruited or developed at Miami over the last two years. And, you know, it's, it's always fun to, uh, you know, go surfing around the Internet whenever Nick Saban does poach a, a coach um, from somebody else's staff. And it was obvious when this thing first started bubbling to the surface that, you know, the Miami fans considered Coach Cool, um, you know, the best coach on that staff. Um, you know, they, they, they equated it to, you know, Coach Saban poaching Mario Cristobal, um, you know, off the staff. You know, why does this guy keep doing it to us? And, uh, you know, the, the, the other funny thing was um, I wandered over to the Georgia website, and, I mean, you know, they were just beside themselves. Um, you know, the comments were, you know, Nick Saban's never had trouble churning out, you know, elite defensive linemen that were first or second round draft picks. And now they've got a guy that's, you know, a proven developer, um, you know, of it. 
and they were beside themselves. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think the one thing, Drew, that's going to be interesting to see how this plays out is, you know, one thing that Coach Cool has never been a part of is a 3-4 defense. He's always been, you know, a 4-3 penetrating uh, defensive line coach where his guys get up the field and, and something that was kind of unique to his system um, was that what he was able to do with run stunts um, with his defensive linemen at Missouri and Miami and giving them the flexion and freedom to, you know, kind of pre-read the snap and call their own run stunts. Obviously, they're not going to be doing that, you know, in the two-gap system that Nick Saban uh, incorporates. But I, but I think it's going to be interesting to watch because what this guy, you know, ha- has a proven track record of, and, you know, of course, there's already been the the battle cry of, of the angry bammers. Survival you know, this instincts. guy's not a proven recruiter. Well, just how good of a proven Predator recruiter swiftness. can you be, you know, working at Missouri for 15 years? Um, Predator swiftness. You know, he, he signed some very uh, good players up there that were, you know, three-star guys that he turned into first-round draft picks. Kind of the same M.O. in his two years at Miami under Mark Rick. Um, you know, truth be told, you know, for somebody that's not a good recruiter, right now as we're talking, uh, Miami has the current number one recruiting class in the country uh, per 247. And, you know, that's the only rankings that I pay any attention to because they have their composite that compiles all the other sites and lumps it into one. And they also track um, the recruiter rankings. And, you know, for a guy that's not a very good recruiter right now, just based on his work for the 2019 class uh, for Miami, he's sitting at number 16 in the country in the National Recruiter of the Year rankings, which makes him the highest-rated recruiter right now currently on Nick Saban's Alabama staff. And I can say this, too. I got a phone call from uh, one of my contacts uh, in uh, seven on seven football that I, I met several years ago. And he's a great guy. He calls me periodically and his son, you know, played at Missouri for a while. He was, a, he was not a, a defensive player or, or, a, or, you know, he did not play for coach school. Uh, but he, he called me the next day and he said, this is a home run for Alabama. He said, coach cool loves the kids. He said he checked on my son all the time, even though, he didn't play uh, for him uh, and just made sure he was good and ac- how he was doing academically. I said he was beloved at Missouri and said that, uh, and plus he said this stuff about him not being a good recruiter and then trust me, this guy's in seven on seven football. So he meets guys all the time. He said he doesn't believe in all that, you know, four star, five star stuff. He's just a great evaluator and he had to be at Missouri. And he talked about Charles Harris. He said, that's the best example because he had played one year of high school football and was basically a two-star kid. He wasn't on anybody's radar, and Coach Cool signed him, started developing him, didn't see him through to the end because, of course, he went to Miami, but he became a first-round draft choice. Uh, so, you know, th- this stuff about him not being an elite recruiter, William, I agree with you. He wasn't at an elite place, but he stayed there because he loved it. Uh, all those guys had a connection to Toledo, you know, had been there, Gary Pinkle, all those guys. Uh, he played at Toledo for Nick Saban. Coach Cool did his senior year. So uh, there was a lot of brotherhood there. Uh, he, he left to go to Miami. Uh, I talked to Mike Dettelier on my show today from New Orleans. He said the word seemed to be that Coach Cool was going to try to get to the NFL. He interviewed with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't hire him, uh, but Nick Saban pounced on him. And 
he thinks it's going to be a, a huge boon for Alabama and the way he can develop defensive linemen. And I do too. He thinks he can really help Raekwon Davis and uh, Isaiah Bugs. And he said another interesting thing, William. He said, and, and Mike does draft evaluations. He said it's becoming even harder to find quality pass rushers uh, for the NFL than it is even quarterbacks. And he said that uh, right now, when you look at Coach Cool's track record at Missouri and Miami, he has a, a, a an outstanding one in regards to developing the pass rush and pass rushers. And uh, he's excited to see what he can do uh, with some of these guys at Alabama. Well, I want to make two points along those same lines, Drew. Um, you know, we, we've seen a lot of guys, you know, over the last 11 seasons of the Nick Saban tenure. Um, that have done a pretty good job, or actually a great job, at Alabama at, at being, you know, a great recruiter that have struggled to, you know, kind of repeat that same success elsewhere. You know, the one that jumps off the page to me, um, you know, it, it's kind of become a, you know, an infamous, you know, name among Alabama football fans is Lance Thompson. Um, you know, un, under, you know, Lance's multiple stints, you know, with Nick Saban at Alabama, and, you know, even to a lesser extent, he, he was considered a pretty good recruiter, a pretty good young recruiter in his two-year stint, um, you know, in the late 90s under Mike Dubose at Alabama. But, you know, when you look at what Lance did in the, in the 2008, you know, 2009 classes for Alabama, um, you know, Julio Jones, Mark Barron, uh, Trent Richardson, A.J. McCarron, D.J. Fluker, um, I probably leave a chance Warmack, you know, there, there's you a two star, three star guy that nobody wanted, uh, you know, coming out of the state of Georgia, probably the, you know, the, the most elite recruit, um, that Nick Saban has signed besides Kenyon Drake and maybe to a lesser extent, Alvin Kamar out of the state of Georgia. Um, but you know, I think this is a situation that kind of parallels, um, with, with coach cool. Now he's in a situation where he's got a brand, a very successful brand that he can sell. Um, he's already kind of established himself as a a pathway to the NFL um, for recruits at lesser schools um, at both Missouri and Miami. And, you know, I think this guy's got a chance to really explode, um, you know, with, with Nick Saban at Alabama and having that brand to sell to, to D-line recruits. And when, when you start talking about looking at what he's done, um, with D-line players and turning them into elite pass rushers, combining that with, you know, what Tosh LaPoy has brought to the table um, at turning Alabama's edge rushers into elite pass rushers. You know, this could get ugly real quick, um, you know, having those two guys, uh, you know, kind of paired off together on the same defensive staff, which, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, Coach Cool is two years older than me. He's 49 years old. And he's the elder statesman on that defensive staff. I mean, when you start looking at, um, you know, Tosh LaPoy and Pete Golding and, and uh, was it Carl Scott, the DB's coach? Yes. Um, you, you know, they're all around 34, 35 years old. So, yeah, that's a very young staff um, on the defensive side of the football. And, uh, you know, they're very active on social media. Um, you know, I, I think that's, uh, you know, something to pay attention to. You know, and I think – Nick Saban has been very calculating since the day after um, the, the national championship victory over Georgia, realizing that, 
Um, he wasn't going to go the, the, the way of Coach Bryant or Bobby Bowden or Joe Paterno, Tom Osborne, you know, some other guys that have kind of, you know, kind of run out of ideas and ways to reinvent themselves or reinvent what, what, what they're trying to do with college football. I mean, he, he's totally revamped that staff. You know, I could say the same thing about, you know, Dan Enos and, and uh, Josh Gaddis joining the staff. Uh, you know, two proven commodities, X's and O's guys that are both good recruiters and developer of players. You know, I'm tickled to death and just so excited, um, you know, about what this coaching staff, the, the makeup of it, of it is. Um, you know, when, when you look at, you know, last year's class, I think, you know, kind of disappointed a lot of Alabama fans. I personally think, um, you know, Alabama – uh, minus maybe one or two more defensive linemen met their needs, certainly. You know, the two biggest areas of needs, um, you know, was defensive line and uh, uh, DB. I think they signed the best DB class in college football last year, certainly the best one of the Nick Saban era. And you would have liked to have seen them get maybe one more guy. Uh, but, you know, the early reports on uh, Stephon Wynn, um, as an early enrollee, I think the only thing that, you know, if you gave me a magic wand that I could wave would be that, you know, that Christian, you know, Barmore could already be qualified and have been an early enrollee as well. Um, you know, because Coach Cool really has to, you know, kind of speed the development process up with guys like Stephon Wynn, LeBron Ray, um, Fedarian Mathis, and then once, you know, Barmore gets on campus this summer, you know, to kind of get that depth up to speed where it needs to be with, with the, you know, the five techniques and the, you know, the interior defensive linemen. Well, and let's not forget, too, William, uh, Coach Cool, uh, in his uh, last couple seasons at Missouri, he had two straight uh, SEC Defensive Players of the Year, Michael Sam, uh, who was really not a highly recruited guy, and then Shane Ray, who he developed into a first-round draft choice, who was with the Denver Broncos, so... Coach Cool, uh, you know, they, and not coincidentally, they went to the SEC championship game uh, both those years. Yeah, and Shane Ray gave, uh, you know, Alabama's offensive tackles all they wanted. Oh, they were glad he got ejected, trust me, in that game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think that it's a, just, you know, when you look at the direction, you know, that Coach Saban has taken the staff from a recruiting footprint, um, you know, I think we can all agree that he's never been, even though we've always had a huge presence over in the state of Georgia, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, there's been some, you know, some pretty classic misses over there. You know, the staff got trolled uh, by Robert Kimdichie, uh, then ended up signing with Old Miss with his brother. Um, you know, they, they really kind of screwed the uh, Carl Lawson evaluation up you know, told him to come to camp that summer and earn his offer, and, and that thing got sideways real quick. And, you know, Kirby Smart botched the Raekwon McMillan recruitment out of out of South Georgia. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, uh, I personally think that, you know, e even though the numbers say otherwise, you know, I, I think that a lot of those players that come out of the state of Georgia are, are slightly overrated. But, you know, I started looking at, at the numbers today, Drew, and, this, this, you know, speaks for itself. You know, since Coach Saban came to Alabama in 2007, um, the state of Alabama, you know, under Nick Saban's watch, obviously, has produced 12 first-round draft picks. Um, 
you know, that, that's pretty strong, especially for a state like Alabama. And a lot of people don't realize, um, you know, Texas, Florida, California, you know, if you look at the, the numbers on the surface, they put out the, the most D1 players on an annual basis. But if you start looking at the number of NFL players that all these states produce, uh, Alabama and Louisiana per capita produces just as many, if not more, than all the rest of those states put together. Really good points, William. And now I got to talk to you about the rest of the coaching staff. It it went about like everyone thought. Uh, Tosh Lepoy, the defensive coordinator, uh, Pete Golding, as expected, uh, going to coach the inside backers and be a co-defensive coordinator, be heavily involved uh, in the game planning. Carl Scott, we've already mentioned, going to be the secondary coach uh, for the University of Alabama uh, on that defensive staff. Uh, and Tosh Lepoy will continue to coach the outside linebackers and the pass rushers. Uh, and then uh, Josh Gaddis, uh, uh, Coach Gaddis will be uh, the uh, new wide receivers coach, co-offensive coordinator. Uh, the the one thing that we knew we had kind of been hearing that was going to come down the pike uh, that uh, was really uh, that uh, you know nobody wanted to see, but everybody knew it was inevitable. Uh, is uh, Burton Burns is going to move off the field, stay involved at the university as associate athletic director for football. Uh, which I think he'll do a great job at. But sad to see him leave on-field coaching. He's probably been the best running back coach I've ever seen. Uh, the, the only slight surprise, I had been hearing that it would be, you know, the offensive coordinator who was officially named, Michael Oxley, would be the uh, OC and also the uh, running back coach. That's not the case. That's going to go to Joe Panunzio. Sounds like Joe Panunzio uh, was rewarded uh, for doing such a great job on the recruiting trail and a solid job with the tight ends. Given the running backs coach's job, Jeff Banks, newly hired from Texas A&M, going to be tight ends uh, and special teams. Brent Key continuing uh, to work uh, with uh, the uh, offensive line. Uh, just your thoughts on Joe Panunzio going to running backs. I know he's, there's already been some criticism of that hire and the fan base not exactly being uh, in, in favor of it. Quite frankly, I, I don't want to jump the gun there because I thought Panunzio did a great job last year with the tight ends and recruiting. And I, I think in some ways, I know he's an older guy, but I think he's being underestimated and undervalued a little bit. Yeah, I'll tell you this, and I don't know, you know, because he's never coached the running back position before. I think that's, you know, let's be superficial here on, on, on the show. Oh, yeah, that, that's true, right. Um, no, you know, he's, he's always been a tight end special teams guy. I think early in his career he might have even coached uh, O-line early in his career. But, you know, last year he had a really sneaky um, special recruiting haul in his own right. Um, obviously, you know, Mike Loxley, you know, um, you know, pitched in and helped down there. But, you know, to get the, the number one cornerback in the country um, and Patrick Sertain, you know, another guy that a lot of people think is an elite DB and Josh Job from South Florida. Um, Help me out here, Drew. What's the receiver's name that we got from down there? Last name Williams, I think. Xavier Williams. Got, you know, got him. And also Jordan Davis. Mm -hmm, from um, Memphis. You know, from yep. Memphis. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Panunzio has a real unique recruiting territory. Yeah, he's got South Florida. But because of his relationship with Jimmy Sexton, and I'll get to that in a minute, that's been my experience and, and dealings with, with Joe Panunzio. Um, you know, he, he, he recruits Memphis and that North Mississippi area up there, you know, that's so critical around Tupelo, 
uh, Batesville, South Panola. He's already gotten uh, what's the elite athlete? Is it Brandon Turnage? Correct, the um, safety. You know, for the 2019 class. Um, so you know, yeah, I mean, I I think that you know, was he rewarded for that class last year? But but I think it's more about you know, because you have to look at. Uh, you know, what, what Joe Panunzio has got to lean on back there at the running back spot um, with, with some help. You know, he's got one of the best running backs in Alabama football history back there uh, aiding him, um, you know, in, in Glenn Coffey, who's on the staff. But I, I think I, I've, I've spent a lot of time with Joe Panunzio back when he was the, direct, the director of player personnel, um, you know, in the early stages of Alabama football. And, you know, the guy is just, you know, when you meet him for the first time, you know, he, he knows where you went to high school, um, you know, what position you played, you know, what your family's all about. He's very, very, uh, you know, gregarious and sociable. You know, you'd never have an encounter with him if you didn't just come away saying, I really like that guy. And uh, so, you know, I don't have a problem with it. I, I think what you're seeing, Drew, is – that, that Nick Saban feels like the best direction for me to go as a head coach of the best college football program in the country. He's brought in, you know, Jeff Banks, Pete Golding, uh, Carl Scott, and, you know, those guys are going to be the Mississippi, Louisiana, over into Houston and Dallas footprint guys. But, but he wanted to maintain that, that stronghold that he's had you know, down there in South Florida where, you know, with, with Mario Cristobal, um, that they've been able to pull guys like Amari Cooper, Jerry Judy, uh, you know, this year Patrick Sertain. Um, and I think, you know, with Mike Loxley, um, Joe Panunzio, and Coach Cool, he'll, he'll, he'll be able to, you know, kind of maintain that footprint down there. But, you know, the one thing that jumps off the page to me um, and I think this is one of the reasons why, you know, Gary Pinkle and Coach Cool um, were able to have such good defensive lines for so many years over there is, is you know, the, the Missouri, Oklahoma, you know, West Arkansas, North Texas region over there, where if you're at Missouri, you have to make your living. They, they sneakily put out two or three elite defensive linemen in every recruiting cycle. And, and I, that's what I'm kind of interested in is, is, you know, Coach Cool's, you know, roots with high school coaches and his relationships over there. Um, you know, I think you could see Alabama, you know, pull a couple of guys out of that recruiting territory. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, when you start looking at it, you know, as a, as a broad-based co- uh, coaching staff group, um, it, it's amazing to get – you know, a guy like Dan Enos, you know, is the quarterback's coach. And to get, you know, Penn State's best recruiter and a guy that, you know, a lot of people feel like in Josh Gaddis is, you know, one job stop away from being an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, he signed a five-star wide receiver last year for Penn State. He was considered, you know, James Franklin's best recruiter. Um, you know, the same thing with, with Coach Cool down there, you know, at Miami, I mean, you know, the guy that they kind of thought was their version of, of Tosh LePoy um, at Miami on Mark Rick's staff last year just totally got his clock cleaned 
um, you know, by Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, Mike Rump, uh, you know, lost Patrick Sertain, Josh Job, and Tyson Campbell uh, right out of his own backyard. So I, I like the fact that, that Coach Saban is, you know, about to be, I think, either 66 or 67 years old. And he's still looking at ways of improving his process, reinventing how his staff, and I think it's pretty obvious now, he wasn't real happy with the way his staff um, attacked the 2018 recruiting trail. But he's taking steps and a lot of great hires to make sure that isn't repeated for the 2019 cycle. Exactly. And, uh, you know, with Joe Panunzio, uh, he almost pulled Tyson Campbell. I mean, he almost did what a lot of people thought was impossible. And I just think he did. And I have met Joe Panunzio as well, heard him speak. A very impressive guy. I know A.J. McCarron thinks a lot of him. Uh, he, you know, he worked in the, the uh, off-the-field role, as you talked about, in the director of player personnel. And, uh, you know, I think he was beloved by the players. And, and uh, you know, it says a lot that Saban would bring him back. I've always heard that he trusted him and, you know, he thought about going back to the Eagles because I think he's nearly got his professional pension uh, pro for, 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 for pro football, but decided to uh, stay at Alabama when Nick Saban knew he didn't need to lose him because he wanted to reward him. And we'll see how he does with the running backs. And again, Burton Burns will be associate AD for football. I, the most ridiculous thing I've been asked a couple of times today is, uh, was it his choice? Well, of course it was Burton Burns' choice. Burton Burns uh, was with Nick Saban longer than anyone and could have stayed as long uh, as he wanted to, uh, to on the on-field coaching aspect. But everybody knew that Coach Burns was getting ready to retire. He's nearly, you know, he's 68 years old. He's put in a lot of years at Alabama. He's now vested in the retirement system. From this transition, he's great around people, uh, being the associate AD for football. I'm sure it'll be a great role for him and, and looking forward to that. Just hate that he's not coaching anymore. But much like Joe Pendry, he'll be close by, and I'm sure – uh, Coach Saban will value his input. Well, and also, too, I mean, he, he can kind of serve as, even though he's not able to go out on the road anymore, uh, he can kind of serve as the, uh, the or, uh, you know, the conductor of the orchestra, um, you know, with, you know, guys like Pete Golding and, uh, you know, Carl Scott and Jeff Banks, who all have, you know, deep, deep relationships down in Mississippi, Louisiana, and, and uh, East Texas, you know, over into Houston and Dallas, you know, he, he can he can leverage his relationships and tell all those guys, you know, who to go see and who the decision makers are. Um, you know, you've got the, uh, you know, the two great players uh, down at Amite High School, you know, another guy that's still on the Alabama uh, staff in a front office position in San Petito, um, you know, down there where all those players are this year. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm, I'm not worried about it, especially with having a guy back there, you know, like Glenn Coffey that's, you know, gone through the rigors of a, you know, an SEC schedule, um, was an elite running back to the San Francisco 49ers for a brief period before he decided to leave and join the Army Rangers. I mean, you know, what a great role model um, for, for all those young running backs to have back there as as a you know a backup secondary coach um you know to help guide them in being better football players and and better men completely agree and 
Uh, I like the moves by Nick Saban and what he's decided to do. And, and uh, I do like the recruiting aspect. I know recruiting was the most, uh, you know, was the uh, the big uh, key to everything and behind all the moves. I mean, uh, of course, there's going to be some that are decrying Burton Burns stepping away. But again, it was going to happen eventually. You had to be ready for it. And, and we will see how that affects everything. Uh, I'm a little bit surprised that, uh, that Mike Lossley doesn't have a position to coach specifically, but still he's going to be the play caller and the offensive coordinator. Uh, he's going to work closely. I'm sure with coach Gaddis, uh, who, as you said, did a great job with the wide receivers at Penn state, did a great job recruiting there. Uh, so that hire is very interesting. And, uh, something tells me that with a lot of these young guys, uh, the Nick Perry's, the Javier Arenas's, uh, you talked about Glenn Coffey, that we're going to see uh, many of these guys get promotions and become full-time analysts for Alabama, Williams. Well, you know, and also, true, uh, also too, uh, Drew, you know, going back to the, the flavor of the offense, um, you know, we, we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on the show, um, you know, going back to last fall with the, with the Brian Dayball, you know, debate about, you know, was he putting – you know, the best offense on the field for Jalen Hurts to be successful with. We, we both knew, um, you know, who the guy was that had the experience with a um, dual threat, uh, no huddle spread quarterback. You know, that was Mike Loxley. And, you know, Nick Saban has even, you know, come out in public and admitted it. But the fact that he brought in Dan Enos um, as his quarterback's coach, which I've, I've – you know, prayed long and hard deep into the night for, I don't know, the last 10 years for him to be the, the offensive coordinator because I think that guy, you know, if, if you're looking for a pro-style offense that utilizes the tight end, uh, that pounds the ball down people's throats and, you know, has a, you know, a quarterback that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, um, that can distribute the ball to everybody, you know, Dan Enos is that guy. And, you know, that tells me that, you know, there's going to be some, some cross-pollination there between what Mike Loxley wants to do as a play caller and, you know, what Dan, Dan Enos sees as the best route to go with this offense, which we've talked about uh, over and over again, the, the level of talent they have to work with. But, you know, Dan Enos – uh, another guy that played for Nick Saban um, at Michigan State, you know, you know, his MO is having a A.J. McCarron-type quarterback um, where you run the ball, run the ball, and then there's, you know, there's the play-action pass down the field to the tight end um, from one of the Allen brothers at Arkansas to Hunter Henry. And so, you know, I think that addition um, is, is going to up the level uh, of coaching that these kids get. And I'm interested to see the, the, the final offensive product, you know, that they put out. Um, you know, we probably won't get to see it in the A-Day game. Um, but, you know, when they, when they line up and, you know, beat the shit out of Louisville in the first game in September. I think everyone's uh, looking forward to that and looking forward to spring practice uh, starting uh, at the University of Alabama and seeing this new staff, uh, you know, get rolling. Uh, and, and now we know – uh, but it's not done for Coach Saban. He's still got to continue to build uh, that uh, off-field staff and those a lot of the analysts, such as Wesley Neighbors, who's now the safety coach at FAU. Those guys have to be, you know, replaced. Uh, Brian Niedermeyer now 
looks like going to be the tight ends coach at Tennessee. And we talked about running backs. Uh, you know, the, they were some people are surprised Joe Panunzio being running backs coach at the University of Alabama. That's the position Chris Winkie got uh, as after signing day. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt made that move uh, as Robert Gillespie, who was the only holdover, leaves the Tennessee staff and Chris Winkie put in place as the running backs coach. So Chris Winkie, uh, all those guys – uh, you know, uh, Dan Werner, he's going to be quarterback's coach at South Carolina. So a lot of analyst jobs open at Alabama. And as we talked about, there's some uh, former Alabama players uh, that have uh, you know now prominently in the program that Coach Saban like. And I really like the fact that he gets these guys back on campus. Who better to teach these guys and the young players coming into the program about the process than guys that have been through it themselves? No, and, you know, I think it was shortly after the national championship game that, you know, I saw a picture that Javier Arenas tweeted out, you know, with him and, and Savion Smith and Trevon Diggs, Deontay Thompson, Jer- Jared Maiden, you know, those guys. You know, he was working with those guys, um, you know, in an off-season capacity. Um, you, know, you know, I mean, Drew, I mean, you know, there, there's some there's some openings there. Um, you know, on the offensive side from an analyst position, um, do you, do you think that the door has totally been closed on, uh, you know, somebody by the name of, uh, uh, Daniel freeze still being possibly being one of those guys? I mean, I, if I, I could see Hugh freeze still in some capacity if coach Saban could work it out with Greg Sankey, uh, and, you know, calm everybody's nerves and, and uh, do that. Nothing would surprise me if Hugh Freeze uh, was an analyst at Alabama. I mean, you know, it may be that uh, he's going to, uh, he was going to let that kind of uh, calm down and then try to make that move. Uh, I'm hearing right now it's probably not going to happen, but who knows? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't, I would never uh, discount it. Another guy that I would think might get a chance to work his way up is Rob Ezel. He's been there, uh, and of course, had come back. Had, had gone uh, into graduate school at Colorado State with Jim McElwain. When McElwain came to Florida, Rob Beasdale came back to Alabama. So he's another one that could see maybe a more prominent role on the staff as an offensive analyst uh, that's an Alabama grad and uh, been through the program as a former walk-on So and wants to you know continue to move up in the coaching fraternity. Yeah, so that wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me either. So uh, we'll we'll continue to monitor you know those situations, but I think the staff is going to be very strong. Uh, looking forward to seeing some of these position battles in the spring, no question about that. Uh, and I know they uh, they were releasing the official roster. They released the early enrollees. Uh, there's only a handful of them this year, but still very interesting. Uh, gonna we'll see a scholar Delong can come in there and win the punting job. Uh, that's something that hadn't been talked about as much, but. Uh, you know, it's a very a big shoes to fill for J.K. Scott. And then if uh, Joseph Belovis uh, can win the uh, kid, the kicker's job, I know they've got Austin Jones coming in from Temple. But, again, that's going to be an open competition, and uh, it'll probably be uh, made the best man win. And then the biggest thing a lot of people have been talking about was the offensive line. Of course, quarterback and the secondary are going to probably be the most watched, but the offensive line is very intriguing because there's so much talent, but where are the pieces going to fit? Who's going to be the center? Uh, there's been, you know, late speculation about Ross Piercebaker going back there. There's still been talk of Jonah Williams, talk of Jedrick Wills. Uh, going to be very interesting to see all the combinations, and there's, they're probably going to work on many of them, William, uh, for Brent Key in the spring. Yeah, you know, uh, 
I had a good friend of mine that, that eats breakfast, you know, once a week with with Bradley Bozeman, and Bozeman thinks that, you know, Pierce Baker is going to get the first look there at center. Um, you know, if that's the case, then you've got a, a wide open competition for left guard. Um, you know, is it going to be, you know, Alex Leatherwood? Is it going to be Jedrick Wills? Um, you know, you still got, I think, you know, two jobs over there on the right side of the offensive line that could be up for competition, um, you know, at right guard and right tackle. But, you know, you bring up a great point. There, there's so much talent there. And, you know, I think, you know, Brent Key's got one of the best jobs on the coaching staff. Um, you know, there's so much available talent, you know. And, again, um, you know, if, you know, if, if Ross Pierce Baker, who was, you know, kind of scheduled to be the starting center um, the week before the, the USC game two years ago, um, you know, when Jalen Hurts first emerged, a lot of people thought he was going to be the starting center. He started having problems, um, you know, with shotgun snaps. You know, is that something that's going to rear its head again? You know, could Jonah Williams get a look there? Um, you know, I don't know. I'm going to go with, you know, what Bradley Bozeman, uh, you know, told my breakfast group that, you know, Ross Pierce Baker is going to get this, you know, the first look there. You've got that open spot. Um, at left guard, and there's so many different people that can factor in there. Um, you know, we would be, you know, just, you know, not doing a, a good justice to speculate on, you know, who that guy could be because there's so many people, like you said, uh, you know, Alex Leatherwood, Jedrick Wills, you know, a guy like Richie Pettibones, um, you know, came into Alabama's program as a highly rated guy, you know, that's put his time in. Um, We'll have to wait and see, but you know that's what spring practice is for. Um, you know the, the 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 cream will rise to the top, and you know we'll see how that goes. You know I, I think the one thing about spring practice that jumps off the page to me, Drew, is how is Nick Saban going to handle the quarterback position? Um, you know me personally, I think he's going to milk that battle out as long as he can to avoid a, a transfer out. Um, we'll, we'll see how long that goes into August. But, you know, again, you know, I've heard another rumor, um, you know, this week, Drew, I wanted to get your thoughts on this uh, to see if you had heard the same thing. There's been some um, – you know, negative scuttlebutt, and I don't know what he's done or if he's done anything at all, uh, but there's been a lot of chatter in the last two weeks about um, Vandarius Cowan maybe being in jeopardy of being a part of the program going forward. Have you heard anything about that? Yes, I have. Uh, Vandarius Cowan, from people I've talked to close to the program, uh, during bowl preparation, uh, failed a drug test. Uh, it's an NCAA deal. They have to decide, you know, how many games. You know, worst case scenario could be a year. We've seen that happen to Robbie Green. He was never seen again. Uh, we've had Tony Brown, I think, was suspended for uh, a few games for a situation like this. He was also being a knucklehead before this. Uh, and, and it shouldn't surprise anyone because Cowan was a guy that, you know, got suspended and kicked off his high school team as a senior. He's a talented kid. I mean, the coaching staff thinks he has first-round talent. During some of this bowl prep before this happened, he was really starting to come into his own. 
but you know, he's kind of been his own worst enemy, uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and, and Markel Benton has also been a guy, he didn't funk, he, he's not in the same situation, but he's had some attitude issues. They're going to have to get that adjusted because they think that he's a, a player as well. But the main deal is Vandarius Cowan. And so we'll have to see. That's the reason uh, that they uh, had to, you know, take an inside backer, you know, in this uh, recruiting class. Uh, and it was so, uh, you know, important to, to sign one late uh, and why you saw uh, the, uh, the why you saw that uh, the, the late uh, uh, addition uh, in on the, on the last recruiting weekend uh, for uh, him to, to come in and, and Jalen Moody. And that's why he was signed, because they knew they were going to need an inside backer because of the uncertainty of Vandarius Cowan. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, he was a guy that could play inside or out. I know Jeremy Pruitt was very high on him. Uh, but, you know, during that, that was the one thing in the recruiting class late. If, if I'd had my druthers, one of those two guys, either Markel Benton or Vandarius Cowan, because of Cowan's off-the-field issues, I thought Monty Rice, who ended up at Georgia from James Clemens, should have been at Alabama because I knew Monty. He's not a character risk. He was a really good football player. He played right next to LeBron Ray and Kyrie McDonald. They had one of the best high school defenses I've ever seen. If they'd had a quarterback, they would have won the state championship in 7A football. They just didn't have, you know, a good enough player at the position, but they were, you know, an outstanding defense. And, you know, hopefully Benton, you know, I just don't trust Jamie Dubo's football players, okay? I said it. That I mean, that's why <laughs> Justin Ross, to me, I didn't get upset when he went to Clemson. He's a Jamie Dubo's football player. Those guys hardly ever pan out. Uh, they, you know – uh, Jamie is a, is a really good uh, is good at accumulating talent, but they don't develop like they should. Uh, and so, you know, that didn't really upset me all that much. So uh, I think Ross is a very solid football player, but I think he can be replaced. Uh, the one that I wanted was Jalen Waddle because of his mindset and because you look at his film, he's like a freak show. I saw some basketball film the other day of him doing a slam dunk contest at five nine in warmups before they played basketball. At, you know, at, in Bel Air, Texas, at Episcopal High School, I was just floored by his athletic ability. But again, I, you know, with Cowan, we'll see. I hope he can get himself together here and, you know, and come back from this. But I do know that he's teetering on the edge, and it wouldn't surprise me if he disappeared. Now, Tim Williams teetered on the edge and made it through, uh, and is now in the National Football League. Van Darius Cowan could be the same situation, William. But uh, from what I understand, that's very, very much in doubt. Well, I hate to hear that. I was hoping you would tell me that it was, you know, totally bogus, and you know, I was getting wrong info. But, um, uh, you know, the reason I hate to hear about it is I know for a fact that, you know, both him and uh, Fidarian Mathis were both the stars of the scout team defense. Uh, you know, last year during the, the national championship run up. And, you know, I, I, you know, again, you know, I guess, you know, I'm sure you get the same thing, Drew. Um, you know, I've gotten so many text messages, you know, email messages and stuff about, you know, that, that Cowan was in trouble. Um, I hope it, I was hoping it wasn't true, number one, um, but, but, you know, it sounds like it is. It does, and uh, it's, and we'll see what happens with that. Uh, but he's going to have a chance to, uh, you know, I'm sure, uh, get back in the good graces of the coaching staff. And with all these coaching changes, I mean, uh, Toshley Poy is still there, of course. Uh, 
uh, but gets a chance to play under a new staff, uh, almost a, a complete uh, new one defensively. So we'll see if he can get a new lease on life. But a lot of what's going to happen is, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, is going to play itself out, and they'll have to be decided with this uh, NCAA deal because those kind of drug tests, when you fail those, uh, it's kind of almost out of Alabama's control. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. There's been a lot of speculation about it and uh, just been hearing it uh, for a while uh, since, uh, you know, the national championship game. And, uh, and then that's why down the stretch in recruiting again, that it became so prominent uh, that they, they turned up the heat on a lot of linebackers and they, and they wanted to find someone. And then, then of course, that would be a big position of need both inside and outside in this upcoming uh, recruiting class for Alabama in 2019. And there's going to be a huge junior day, William, coming up. Uh, I know we talked about the offensive linemen led by Clay Webb, uh, you know, Pierce Quick, Amari Kite over at Thompson. That's going to be a huge focus for Alabama. Uh, but I, I think the defensive line classes as well. And I noticed that uh, they're already making inroads with a teammate. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of Tua Tonga Vailoa over in Hawaii, but he's a five-star kid. And, uh, you know, Coach Cool will probably have a lot to do with that young man. But I think uh, DL, I know they've had some misses the last two years uh, with this group. Got a funny feeling they're going to sign four or five good ones this time. No, I agree with you. And, and, you know, I think that's, you know, a guy that you're talking about from Hawaii that's, you know, involved. and, And they offered him late. Um, you know, then you've got the, uh, you know, the number one overall player down there at, you know, Amite in Louisiana, um, you know, Sofficer or whatever his name is. But, you know, I think that when you look at it, Drew, um, the, the, this class it, it, for Alabama's needs, I think it, it's setting up perfectly because there's so many, um, you know, defensive tackles, you know, edge rushers starting to emerge. You know, I, I think this kid, uh, Marcel Brooks, is an elite player um, that a lot of people aren't talking about. But, you know, of course, you know, the bones of a program is about, you know, the guys that are on the interior of that defensive line, and that's something that, you know, they were able to address last year, um, you know, with Stephon Wynn and, and Christian Barmore. Uh, but they got to do it again next year, and they got to be perfect about it. They got they got to make sure they get their, uh, you know, their top guys. And you know, we'll see how that works out because you know you're going to lose, uh, you know, a guy like Isaiah Bugs. You know, maybe a guy like Raquan Davis, um, who was the sack leader last year. Uh, you know, in Alabama's defense, you know, maybe he decides to, you know, go pro early. But you know you got to you got to make preparations for that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, you know they, they, I think they've got the the guys on campus right now um, to have an elite defensive line, especially if you know Stephon Wynn, LeBron Ray, Fedarian Mathis, and, and Christian Barmore, you know, prove to be SEC ready. But you know you just have to um, you know have to be prepared for that thing to you know, go south, but I like the pieces that, you know, Coach Cool is walking into the coach. Do you, I know you made mention of it earlier today. Uh, I, you know, 
I saw you post something elsewhere about it. Uh, now that Coach Cool is in place, I know he'll have a, a heavy say in this. And, and, of course, the prospective student-athlete wouldn't be on campus now until May. But do you think a graduate transfer defensive lineman could be in the works? I sure would hope so. I mean, you know, um, you know, the, the guy that everybody's talking about is Sterling Johnson. And, you know, I, I saw where, uh, you know, Pete Golding, you know, made contact with him on Twitter. And, you know, getting somebody like that that, you know, was playing behind three or four first-round draft picks at Clemson last year, but they were getting, you know, 15 to 20 good reps out of him a game. You know, if they can bring that into, you know, Alabama's defensive line this year, what a huge home run. And, and especially, I, you know, Drew, th- this is what I saw. This time last year, so many people thought that, and, you know, God knows you can't debate the talent, but, you know, Clemson lost Dan Brooks and Marion Hobby both um, as their defensive line coaches. And I really thought as talented as those guys, you know, Dexter Lawrence, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, I thought they went backwards last year. And this is the reason why I didn't want Todd Bates to be um, the next defensive line coach at Alabama. Um, you know, Dan Brooks and, and Marion Hobby are both elite defensive line coaches. Um, you know, they turned that thing over to um, Todd Bates and, and Lomansky Hall this past season. And in my opinion, I thought that defensive line went backwards. Um, you know, Alabama's was better in, in a lot of different, you know, statistical categories. Um, I, I want to see what, you know, Coach Cool does. And, you know, th- there's there's different spots on a college football team that are critical um, as far as teaching are concerned. Defensive line is one of them. Uh, the cornerback coach is one of them. And the O-line is one of them. And then, of course, you've got the quarterback. Um, Alabama is positioned to have – elite guys in all those positions. But I I still want to see a concrete answer about how, because when you saw this, you know, D-line spot open up, Drew, everybody said, you know, Todd Bates, Todd Bates, Todd Bates. And, you know, I just wasn't impressed with what I saw there. And I'm not saying he's not a guy that's not going to be a elite coach going forward. But with you know, three or four first-round draft picks, I thought that Clemson defensive line went backwards under Todd Bates last year. Well, that's a great point, and um, they obviously had a good deal on and returned a lot of uh, a lot of guys, And but Alabama proved uh, that uh, their defensive line could match up with Clemson's uh, as uh, Alabama dominated that game 24-6 to and to win Chapter 3 uh, in uh, that great war. Uh, with the Clemson Tigers, and uh, I know a lot of people think both of those teams will uh, return to the college football playoff. Well, uh, that will play itself out soon. Uh, but uh, uh, great stuff from William Barger uh, tonight on BAMS Radio. Uh, we want to thank him for joining us. Uh, some thoughts on uh, the coaching staff, and we'll continue to delve deeper into recruiting. We'll have some reaction uh, from the Junior Day event next week. 
Uh, and we'll talk some more of recruiting and and we'll and we'll continue to delve into spring practice and start maybe going into uh, more uh, position specific and even delve into that depth chart a little more uh, in some of the position battles uh, that we're most looking forward to. But William, I really appreciate you joining us and thank you tonight, man. And I think everybody always enjoys hearing from you on BAMS radio. Thank you, Drew. Thank you. That's William Redfish Barger uh, joining us and to to, uh, to wrap up this edition of BAMS, I wanted to give a little bit of a basketball take right now. You know, I've had some interesting conversations on Twitter. As always, as soon as Alabama loses a basketball game, uh, it's like uh, the floodgates open. And so many people criticize Avery Johnson, criticize the players, uh, and they talk about, you know, Bruce Pearl and Auburn. And first of all, I got to say, even though this is an Alabama podcast, you got to give it up to Auburn and Bruce Pearl. They've had a special group of players, a special year this year. They've overcome so much adversity, and you have to tip your hat to the way they played last night in beating Alabama. But Alabama right now has three games remaining in their regular season, Uh, and if they take care of business uh, in those games, of course they're going to be in the NCAA tournament. I think they have a chance to win all three. Of course, you know, with as wide open as the SEC has been, Anything can happen in, uh, in, 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 all, in all three of them. First, uh, they have Arkansas up Saturday at home, then Tuesday at home against Florida, and then at Texas A&M. So there are no guarantees. But I, this has been a resilient team. Uh, they've bounced back uh, from defeat uh, before. I never thought they were going to win that game against Auburn because Auburn had played without Mustafa Haran before. Uh, they, they, I know Auburn only had seven guys. And they lost Anthony McLemore, and that may hurt long term. But in the short term, you knew Auburn was going to come out hard. Alabama took the initial punch and then came back and you know tied it at 30. And then it was nip and tuck in the second half, and Auburn just made plays. They're very tough in their building right now. They're the best team in the SEC. But make no mistake, this Alabama program is very close to returning to prominence under Avery Johnson. Uh, if they can make this next step and get into the NCAA tournament this year, it would be phenomenal. Uh, the last two years, they've had opportunities and didn't finish strong and lost to the NIT. This team has a chance to get back to March Madness for the first time since 2012. Uh, there is no comparison between Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson. What Avery Johnson is doing on the recruiting trail dwarfs what Anthony Grant ever did, including the class with Trevor Lacey. Uh, and Levi Randolph, who were both really good players, but he couldn't manage uh, Trevor in the program. Uh, you know, to me, John Petty and and uh, Colin Sexton would not be here without Avery being the head coach because of his NBA connections and what he's done. You can't, and I, you know, I've heard it. I've heard the mantra before uh, already today. Well, they're 28 games in. They're, they're, you should not be an excuse. This is it's it, it is it very much is in basketball. If you look at what Auburn has done from year three to year four under Bruce Pearl, it is like night and day. Plus, they had the injection of Deshaun Murray, uh, their transfer to their team. This Alabama basketball team, six of their guys, including Daniel Giddens, are with their first year with the program. Uh, and, uh, and guys that returned, like a senior, like Riley Norris, who was going to give them valuable experience, they never saw the real Riley Norris. He was injured. Braxton Key hurt his knee, missed most of the pre-conference. It messed with the chemistry. They've just now started to feel comfortable in their roles. Uh, you know, I had a guy on Twitter today tell me that uh, Dante Hall is the only player in Alabama's program that's improved. Well, they're one of the youngest teams in the country. 
I mean, this team, uh, they're just now coming into their own. You hope that they start playing their best basketball down the stretch. I know they had a loss to Kentucky and a loss to Auburn, but that's two of the top four teams in the SEC. Alabama still has a chance to win 20 games in the regular season, still has a chance to go to the NCAA tournament, and I think they will. Uh, And I think that's the progress you needed to see. I felt like going into this season that Alabama, the ceiling for this team was to win 23 games and get to the Sweet 16. All still doable. Uh, The Sweet 16, uh, you know, I'm not as confident in that because it's going to depend on draw. And this team, perhaps, you know, uh, you know, I I was hoping that they would gel better a little a little quicker. But I mean, a lot of times when you have injuries and when it's and it's tougher to define roles, that's what happens. But I still have seen progress. Uh, The talent level is there. You know, Herbert Jones didn't have his best game against Auburn, but these guys have bright futures ahead. I mean, right now Alabama has one guy that's ready for the NBA, and he's not really ready. Colin Sexton really probably needs another year, but he will be a highly drafted kid and really help the, the you know the program from the as far as from the perspective of getting them back on the map uh, for kids that want to reach the NBA. But at the same time, uh, it's you know I I do think in the future Dante Hall is on that trek. He needs another year, though. He's just now starting to figure things out. And don't discount the fact that he's injured his wrist. That, that's also hurt Alabama. People don't want to hear that, but injuries are part of it. Uh, and, you know, I know Nick Saban's teams have been able to overcome them, but, you know, he, he had his program in place. In football, there's a, there, there's a, it's more of a numbers game. You only have 13 guys in basketball. It's, uh, an injury can be it can take a, a, a bigger toll. And, I, and at times, Alabama has played well without Colin Sexton, including beating Auburn. So you can see the talent level there. Daniel Giddens has had a big adjustment. Uh, he's, you know, ha- has not been able to stay on the court at, at times because of fouling. But we've seen flashes from Alex Reese. Uh, and I think next year, when you add Jared Butler to the mix, he won't have a lot of pressure on him. They don't need him to be Colin Sexton. They just need him to be a very solid player, make open shots, run this team. I think Jared Butler will be a crucial piece. I think he and Dazon Ingram can kind of share the point guard position and allow Dazon to uh, move on and off the ball. This year, he's had to adjust to the better supporting cast. So he hasn't had maybe as good a year as he had last year. He'll be more comfortable a year from now, which will be a redshirt junior, be very experienced. Uh, And so I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about Herbert Jones' development as he gets better at making shots, gets in a college weight room. This time a year ago, he was playing 4A basketball in Alabama. These guys are kids, man. Most of them are teenagers. They haven't played a lot of basketball. Experience is invaluable on the college level. I saw an interview with Colin Sexton this week. He said the biggest thing uh, that really surprised him about college basketball was the physicality. Exactly. These are Some of these guys you're playing against are grown men. They're three or four years older. Uh, you, you have to be patient uh, with Avery Johnson and his staff because he's just now beginning to get the roster where he wants it. Uh, because you see this class, Javion Fleming coming in with Jared Butler. He's a very solid player. I saw, you know, he, he, of course he wasn't completely healthy, but I saw Trey Jemison from Hoover play who's going to Clemson. I like Fleming better. I think he's a, a more polished big man. I think he can come in and give Alabama minutes if necessary. He's not going to be counted on to start. Uh, and then I think Deontay Wood will redshirt from Sacred Heart but can be developed into a role player. And let's not forget the guy that's sitting out. He averaged 15 points per game, was leading Texas in scoring last year before getting sideways uh, with Shaka Smart, and that's Tevin Mack. He will be a valuable player for Alabama. He's played on the big-time college level. 
from Columbia, South Carolina. He can shoot and score. This Alabama team kind of lacks consistent shooting. He will be a really good shooter. Uh, they hopefully will, you know, buy in and fit in on, with his role. Uh, we'll see if he starts, but if not, I think he's going to be able to come off the bench and provide them offense. Uh, and then Braxton Key, he's he's still developing as a player. I always felt like he was a three or four year guy. Uh, there, you know, he I know he declared for the draft a year ago, uh, and he's had you know a harder time fitting in with this group. But I think the injury played a big part of that. He actually played pretty well last night and was productive offensively against Auburn with 11 points. They just did not get enough, uh, you know, inside. But I was watching some of the game. Uh, the Alabama had good looks at the basket from three. They didn't go down. They didn't finish around the rim. And Auburn played with so much energy and passion. Hopefully that's going to be a big-time learning experience. I know it was for Auburn last year. They couldn't guard a lamppost. And that's why they didn't go to the NCAA tournament or even the NIT. But they used it as motivation, and they were ready this year. I think Alabama can get to the NCAA tournament and whatever success they have, then kind of you, you've got, you know what that you've reached it. Now you know what you need to do to go take it to that next level. And I think Alabama basketball can do that under Avery Johnson. Uh, I, I think this coaching staff, I think uh, they've done a very good job uh, with uh, John Pelfrey. He's improved Dante Hall tremendously in two years. Giddens will continue to get better. I've seen enough out of Galen Smith and Alex Reese. Uh, these big men are already improving already getting better and uh, like I told a guy on Twitter today he said you know Dante Hall is the only one that's improved six of these guys are in their first year in the program they're only 28 games in you can't use that as a barometer and 28 games is not that many games of basketball to gain quote-unquote experience especially when you've never been to Auburn Arena before you didn't know what it took to play hard uh, in the SEC and to play on the road and the SEC is 10 times better than it was the last time Alabama went to the NCAA tournament under Anthony Grant, comparing Anthony Grant and Avery Johnson as coaches is asinine. It's like comparing Alabama and Auburn football. One's a Rolls Royce, one's a Pinto. It's just like last night with the ODK trophy. Auburn fans are raising hell, loving the fact that they got uh, the trophy from Alabama to win the Iron Bowl. That's why Alabama's Alabama, and that's why Auburn is Auburn. Alabama's a championship-level program. Auburn is Bush League, and all they care about is, uh, is you know, they, they put so much emphasis on beating Alabama in everything. And that's why the programs will never be the same. They are never going to match up with one another uh, because of Alabama's wanting to win in every sport and have excellence, whereas all Auburn worries about is beating Big Brother. And I think you saw that last night. And I think with Alabama's basketball program, uh, I think they're going to continue to rise. I got to give Bruce Pearl a lot of credit. I would vote him national coach of the year for the job that he's done. I give Auburn all the credit. That's a special group of kids they've got. But if you're an Alabama basketball fan, you need to continue to be patient and see what Avery Johnson's building because the talent level is going up. And I think this Alabama program is going to very quickly be one of the top three in the SEC. And this is a very good league. And they're going to make some deep NCAA runs because they're going to continue to get better and these kids are going to continue to improve. I've been around this program, covered it very closely, and I can see it. It's so, you know, I know some of the losses are frustrating, uh, but I, I can tell you that they're working hard. And if they can, you know, the, the, it, right now they need to start anew and a clean slate after this Auburn game, rededicate themselves and try to take this one game at a time and return to March Madness because it would be tremendous for Alabama, tremendous for the state to see Auburn as a, a two seed, maybe a one, Alabama solidly in the field, 
uh, that uh, both uh, it's going to be great for basketball in this state. Alabama, where I'm from, in North Alabama, we have the best basketball, I think, in the state of Alabama, and that's going to continue to be the case, and it's going to be good to see Alabama back in a, in a prominent position, Auburn continuing to ride. It's better when they're both programs are good because you see energy, you see the competition, and uh, it was great when Sonny Smith uh, and Wimp Sanderson were going at it, and I think we're about to see the same thing. Uh, but Bruce Pearl's future is uncertain because of this FBI investigation. Uh, but, again, Auburn's built a new arena. Their arena's outstanding. Alabama is about to do the same thing. I know it has come, you know, in a, in a small, sh- slower process, but Greg Byrne knows exactly what he's doing. And the future of Alabama basketball hasn't been brighter in a long, long time. And uh, even more so, even I think that the future is even brighter than it was under Mark Godfrey because, quite frankly, I think Avery Johnson is a much better coach than Godfrey. And there's going to be much better trust among the players uh, than there was uh, during uh, the time of Mark Godfrey when a lot of players left the program too early. But I just wanted to, you know, give my little synopsis of Alabama basketball. I still think they're in very solid position right now, 17-11, in the SEC. Huge game Saturday. Hope everyone can make it to Coleman Coliseum. It's sold out for Arkansas. Florida on Tuesday, the last two home games for these guys, even though there are no seniors on the team. Got to see Colin Sexton for the last couple of times. Uh, he's been fun to watch in an Alabama basketball uniform. But thank you, everybody, for uh, listening to BAM's radio tonight. Good night and roll tide.